Well, I invite you to turn to uh, Psalm 116. We are currently studying the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. And if you are, are new here, visiting here today, and you're wondering what in the world is an Egyptian Hallel Psalms, well, the word Hallel means praise. So these are hymns of praise or psalms of praise. And the Egyptian part is because Psalms 113 through 118 are associated with Passover, the great deliverance of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt by God through Moses. Even today, these psalms are used in Passover meal celebrations. So we're going to look at 116 today. I'll come back to 115, but this one was particularly good for us on uh, Communion Sunday. So, uh, so I'm, I'm uh, skipping 115 for the time being. And then next week we'll look at 118, which is a particular uh, application to Palm Sunday. So Psalm 116, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O oh Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is... God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word to us. You may be seated. <clears throat> Before we dive into the content of the psalm here, I want to highlight two features of Psalm 116 that make it somewhat unique. And the first is uh, that this, uh, the, the structure of this psalm uh, is interesting. Now, I love to listen to music. And I spend a lot of time listening to music, and it's maybe uh, it's because I have no musical talent whatsoever that I love to watch YouTube videos that break down songs and show you the artistry and skill involved in, in, what, in making a song great. Um, I watched a video last night on uh, the Beach Boys, and they isolated Brian Wilson's voice and saw where he was hitting the notes just pure. And uh, so that, that's all very interesting to me. It's very kind of technical, and I don't understand half of it. But it gives me a deeper appreciation uh, of the song, a song that you hear, you think, oh, this is great, and, and uh, you don't have any further understanding of it besides that. But when you hear some of the technical stuff about it and, and the artistry of it, it gives you a deeper appreciation of it. So I want to do that now for this, this particular psalms. 
this particular psalm. Uh, psalms are Hebrew poetry, of course. They were meant to be sung. And this particular uh, psalm uses a literary, literary device called chiasmus. Chiasmus is a literary device when words, ideas, or grammatical structures are stated, then reversed. So if you look at this psalm, verse 1 <clears throat> begins <clears throat> where the psalmist, <clears throat> excuse me, where the psalmist is, where, where he is in his heart and mind. I love the Lord, for he has heard me. Um, and, and then uh, he's, he says uh, he was going to call on the Lord for the rest of his life. And then he tells you why, the story behind it all, verses 2 through 9. <clears throat> he was facing death and cried to the Lord, and he was spared by the Lord. Then in verse 10, he retells the ideas in reverse, beginning in verse 10. This time he begins not with where he ends up, with love for the Lord and appreciation for the answered prayer, but he begins, he retells the story, he begins with the problem. You see in verse 10, uh, he says, uh, I was afflicted. Um, I, I was, I was, uh, uh, all men are liars. Uh, he, he had, a, had a, a dark situation that he was facing. And then, if you look uh, at how he tells the, the account, he ends up where he was in verse 1. The very last verse talks about how he's going to continue to call on the Lord in public worship with all the people of God. So you see, it tells it in one way, and then it tells it in another way, just in different directions in reverse. And I put on the sheet, if you've got one of those outlines, Michael Wilcock in his commentary uh, laid out the chiasmus, and, and you can see there, if you read through it, you can do that when you get home today if you want to study it further. But, but just, just showing you the structural uh, artistry of the psalm so you'll have a fresh appreciation of it in a kind of a mechanical and technical sense. But more importantly, another feature of this psalm makes it unique, and that is this is one of only two places in the Psalter where love is directly expressed for the Lord, for God. Verse 1 begins, I love the Lord. And the only other place that that happens in the Psalter is Psalm 18 that says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Um, you would think that in the Psalms where so much emotion is expressed, you'd have more of that. But this is only two places. So it tells us that this is a very powerful, personal, and emotional psalm. It's intimate. We see here the depth of the psalmist's warmth and gratitude toward God. God has shown the psalmist kindness, care, and protection amid agonizing affliction. And he wants to express his deep and abiding thanksgiving for what the Lord has done. And this psalm is the result of that. Now, what does it tell us here? Let's just look at these. I've given you five points here that really just give you the content of the psalm and kind of the categories of the content of what he's saying. Uh, first, he tells us what the circumstances of his life are. Verse 3, the snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. Now, Sheol is uh, <clears throat> just a way of saying uh, the state of death. Uh, I talked about parallelism last week. 
And so you see there in verse 3, the first two statements are parallel statements. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. He's saying the same thing, just using different words to say it. So he was in a life or death situation, uh, dire circumstances. And also in verse 6, it tells us that he was brought low. He was depressed. He was in a, a state uh, not you know, riding high. He was low. Verse 7, he intimates that his soul was not at rest. Uh, he was not at peace in his heart. Um, verse 10, I am greatly afflicted. Uh, I said in my alarm, so he's alarmed, all mankind are liars. So he had been betrayed by someone. Verse 16 says, you have loosed my bonds, so he feels like he's in some sort of bondage. We don't know if this was uh, physical bondage or some sort of uh, figurative bondage, but he was not free. He wasn't feeling free. Now, we don't know exactly when this was written, what the circumstances were. Some people say perhaps it was King Hezekiah who faced death and then the Lord uh, freed him from that. Maybe it was David in the whole episode with Absalom. Um, one, of the, one of those two might be the case. We just don't know. But certainly, it's true of everyone at some point or another. Uh, the human condition is one where we do suffer sometimes. We face death. We face difficulties in our lives. Sometimes we are in distress and anguish, and sometimes we're, we don't have rest or peace in our hearts and our souls. Maybe you've been betrayed by a loved one or a friend. Uh, perhaps you feel like you're in bonds of some sort today. Um, everybody goes through difficult times, and perhaps you're feeling this way today. Well, this is the perfect psalm for you, if that's the case. So circumstances. We all face these difficult circumstances. Second, the cry for help we see here. Verse 1 uh, he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. So he lifted his voice to the Lord and he cried out for mercy to God. Verse 4, I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. So he's calling on the Lord. And I simply want to say about that, do you pray? You know, sometimes uh, we live our lives and we come to church and we say we're Christians, but we forget to pray. Um, we face a difficult circumstance, and then we all of a sudden are, are thinking, you know, what am I going to do about this? Uh, where should I turn? Or maybe we'll even make a list of pros and cons and, you know, try to use our own wisdom to figure it out without praying, which is the obvious thing we need to do. Paul told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing, which means you're living in a constant dependence upon the Lord, calling upon Him, because we do. I mean, we, we don't know... Uh, what the future holds. Uh, who is sufficient for the, all the things that we face in our lives? We need the Lord's help. Pray without ceasing. Continue to lift up your voice to the Lord, especially in these times when you're facing difficult circumstances. Well, the psalmist prayed and then the Lord responded. Verse 1, he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. The Lord hears your prayers. Verse 2, he inclined his ear to me. He inclined his ear to me. He, turn, he, he listens to what you're praying. He hears your prayers. Verse 6, he saved me. 
He saved him from this life or death situation. Verse 7, the Lord dealt bountifully with him. Verse 8, he delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Verse 16, he loosed my bonds. So that's what the Lord did for the psalmist. And the Lord does the same for, for us who pray to him as well. The Lord hears our voice. He hears our pleas for mercy. His ear is inclined toward us. He saves us if we call upon him. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He deals bountifully with us. Now, sometimes we may think, I don't think the Lord's dealing bountifully with me. I keep praying for something and praying for something, and the Lord's not giving me what I want. And, it, and it's hard. It's difficult. Or I've been praying for a, a lost son or a lost daughter or my mother or my father or family member that doesn't know the Lord, and, and the Lord's not answering that prayer. Well, the Lord always deals bountifully with us, even when we don't think so. Because he's, he's in charge and he's got a good plan and he always has our best interests at heart. God always answers prayer, but sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. And we just have to recognize that if he says no or if he says wait, then he's got a great reason for doing so. You know, Paul prayed to the Lord. He had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that was. Maybe it was an eye problem. Uh, but he prayed three times to remove that, and God said, no, because my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. God wanted more of Paul, and so he didn't take away the thorn in the flesh. Paul had to live a life of dependence upon the Lord more than if he was healed, and that's the Lord giving himself to Paul. So Paul wouldn't be tempted to rest in his own strength. It didn't feel like a gift, I'm sure, to Paul, but it was the Lord dealing bountifully with us. And when you're facing unanswered prayer, consider that, that the Lord is always dealing bountifully with you in his wisdom. It may not be your wisdom. It may not be the way you want things done, but you have to trust the Lord that he has your best interest at heart. Well, verse 16 says he's loosed our bonds and the Lord will always loose our bonds. He, he, if we are free in Christ, we are free indeed. In Christ, even, even if they throw us in prison, we're free in Christ. Free, in, free indeed. Well, why does the Lord do this? Why does the Lord answer our prayers? Uh, what is it about his character that makes him answer the prayers and listen to us? Well, verse 5, gracious is the Lord. He doesn't deal with us as we deserve. Uh, he gives freely to us undeserving sinners. He's that kind of God, one of grace. He's righteous. He always does what is right and fair. And we might think, oh, Lord, that's not fair. I mean, I'm sure the persecuted Christians are facing injustice in their, in their persecution. Uh, maybe you've been the victim of injustice. Well, the Lord will make it right one day. He will make it right. All injustices will be made right because God is righteous. Again, we may have to wait a little while for it, but justice is coming. Our God is merciful. He's a merciful God. He, he is kind to us. He empathizes with us. He knows that we are weak, 
and he shows mercy to us. That's the kind of God that our Lord is. Verse 6, the Lord preserves the simple. I have a friend, and, and when you say, uh, you know, what do you know? You know how some people will greet you and say, hello, you know, what do you know? And he says, not much, and I can prove it. Some of you got the joke. Yeah. Well, he says, uh, the Lord preserves the simple. Not the complicated, I guess, but the simple. Those who are humble, those who just come to the Lord in their brokenness, and it's not complicated. They just need help, and they recognize it. Verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, this is not saying that God delights in the death of his saints, um, but precious can also be uh, translated costly or valuable. And what it's saying there is that it matters to God. Our lives matter to God. I mean, Jesus said, I mentioned this last week, that his eyes on the sparrow, you know, whether the, the sparrow falls to the ground, not one falls to the ground without the Heavenly Father knowing it. He cares for the sparrow. How much more does he care for humans? And when we suffer and die, that means something to God. He's not just ignoring it, but it, we're valuable to him. And he's, he doesn't take our deaths lightly. So that just shows the Lord's character, that if we consider our own troubles and we consider crying out to the Lord, this is the God we're crying to, a merciful, kind, righteous, gracious God who really is concerned with all that you're going through. That's the Lord's character. And the psalmist experienced all this grace and mercy in his life, and he is exploding with joy and thanksgiving. Look at his responses. This is the bulk of the psalm. First, he loves the Lord. He is in love with the Lord. And he says, I will call on him, verse 2, as long as I live. He is found by experience that calling on the Lord uh, results in God dealing bountifully with them. And so he's going to continue to call on him as long as he lives. Verse 9, he's going to walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That means he's going to walk in fellowship with God. He's going to live as if God was present constantly. Now, God is everywhere. God is present with us throughout our lives. But sometimes we live our lives without acknowledging his presence. We don't uh, live as if he were present. We live many times as if God doesn't see at all, and we don't care. We're going to do what we want to do. But this guy is saying, look, I'm going to live my life as if God was, and as, as, he, as he is, always present with me. Even when I'm home alone, even when I'm away from everyone else, the Lord is present and he sees everything. And that's a good thing. He wants to be in fellowship with God. Not as if, you know, big brother is watching you, but this kind, gracious, merciful God is walking with us and always there to help. Verse 16, Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. Isn't that interesting? His bonds have been loosed. 
He's freed from whatever has been oppressing him. And now he is committing himself to be in God's service, to be his servant. He's giving his life to the Lord. That's a great example to us as well. Verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. So lifting up the cup of salvation means he is going to publicly embrace the salvation that Christ or that God is providing for him. And he's going to do it in worship and before the people paying his vows, coming to church and uh, or coming to the temple in this case and bringing his worship and praise and offerings to the Lord. And he says the same thing in verse 17 at the end. He reiterates it. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. So the response that you see from the psalmist is twofold. First, it's embracing a personal relationship with the Lord. He wants to walk with the Lord. He wants to call on the Lord. He wants to be dependent upon the Lord and serve the Lord. So it's a total commitment on his part to be in a relationship with God on a moment-by-moment basis. And to express his love, he is going to gather in public worship to sing the praises of this God that he is so in love with and who has been so good to him. That's what this sermon is all about. Do you have that? Do you have that kind of intimate, personal relationship with the Lord that makes you excited to come to worship on Sunday? That makes you excited to say, yes, this God who's been good to me all week, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to sing to him. I'm going to pray to him. I'm going to listen to his word. I'm going to confess that I believe in him and trust him. Do you have that kind of relationship with the Lord? Well, if you don't, what does the psalm say Call on the Lord. Call on the Lord. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's as simple as that. Pray to him. Seek him out. Seek and you shall find, Jesus said. Well, that's what the psalm is about. And as we've been saying, this is a psalm that will be sung after the Passover meal. Even to this day, that's the practice. 113 and 114 were sung before the meal. 115, 116, 117, and 118 would be sung after the meal. Now, the Israelites as a whole experienced the deliverance from the angel of death on that first Passover. It was corporate. You know, all of Israel was saved. At least those who put the blood over their door frame and sacrificed the lamb in obedience to what God told them to do in order to be saved from the angel of death. So there was this wholesale salvation, but it was personal. So this is different than the other psalms in this group of psalms. This one is me, I. It's very personal. It's not us or we. It's personal and appropriate for singing at Passover because every house in Egypt that night either had a dead lamb or a dead child. That's personal. And that deliverance was celebrated by the families. Wouldn't it be wonderful to sing this and to remember? 
how the Lord delivered, especially if you were the firstborn son. You were particularly happy to sing this. The Lord delivered you from death. Well, when Jesus and the disciples celebrated the last Passover together, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and he washed the disciples' feet, the Gospels tell us that when, he, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And of course, there they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is possible and more than possible, probable and maybe even likely, if not for sure, that Psalm 116 was sung by Jesus and the disciples before he went out to the Mount of Olives. And when Jesus and the disciples came to the foot of the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, it was an olive garden there at the foot of the mountain that they frequented, he told them to sit in the spot, and he and Peter, James, and John were going to go a little further on to pray. And then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Why is Jesus so very sorrowful at this moment, even to death? Well, he knows what he has come to do. He knows he has come to lay down his life as a sacrifice for sinners like you and me. And he knows what is involved in that. And that's why he prays. He says they're going a little farther. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he, and he prayed that exact prayer three times. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus prays, let this cup pass from me? Now, it's likely that earlier in the evening he prayed or sang or recited this line. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Well, in his prayer in Gethsemane, he's not talking about the cup of salvation. He is speaking of the cup of God's wrath that he is about to drink to the dregs. Throughout the Bible, the cup is used as a metaphor for the wrath of God on human sin and evil. Places like Psalm 75 or Isaiah 51, 17. Uh, Psalm 75 says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Isaiah 51, 17, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Ezekiel 23:33. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, a cup of horror and desolation. And even in the New Testament, this imagery is picked up in Revelation 14, 9. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Well, Jesus, it says in Second uh, Corinthians he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So Christ bore our sin and he 
received the wrath poured out for our sins on the cross. And that's why he's sweating great drops of blood in Gethsemane. He's drinking the cup of God's wrath so that we can lift up the cup of salvation. And that's available to all of us today. And this table that we're about to come to is, is got the cup of salvation here as well. It doesn't mean that drinking it automatically saves you. But by faith, trusting in Christ and his, his, his body shed for the forgiveness of sin and his blood shed, or his body broken for the forgiveness of sin and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin, uh, we are reminded of his grace and mercy to us and that we don't have to drink that cup of wrath. We can drink the cup of salvation and live forever. So let's pray together as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace and mercy that we see in Jesus Christ who, who took the wrath of God for us that, was, that we deserve, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that we can come into your house today and joyfully come into your presence and know that you welcome us in through what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, we celebrate that today. And I pray that if anyone doesn't know you today, they don't have that personal relationship, that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.